Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Friday, July the 8th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 29. It is the continuation, as our guest told me before our time this morning, of the Jacob saga. It's one of those dynamics when you go through the 20s of Genesis, you're starting to, if you ever had a thought that everything in Genesis was just great because it's older and closer to creation or something, I would say not the case when you look at his today. So we have this saga. Um, excited to be able to dig in as we see Jacob um, making some mistakes. Also, we see the grace of our Lord. So as we look at it today, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Christopher Morundi, who is a Ph.D. candidate at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Morundi, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much. Very glad to be here. Pastor, so tell, uh, tell, tell, I'm going to start this way. We're just going to get right into the text. There's a tendency that we have in our lives where we think older is therefore better or older. The things were just more in order. You know, we'll talk about the 50s. All everything was perfect. We'll go back to 1700s, must be even better. Go to the Reformation, even better. If we go all the way back to Genesis, clearly they were closer to creation, closer to God. If you, we can't really say it that way. But you know what, Pastor? Can we say that, that older is necessarily better? What would you say? <laughs> well, we, we kind of, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about chronological snobbery, and that's, <laughs> that's looking, looking down on those who came before us. And so we, gotta, we, we have to guard against that. But on the other hand, we have to guard against this, this idealistic view, vision of any era of the past that, you know, supposedly that was so much better uh, than other eras, and may, maybe in some ways it was or wasn't or whatever, uh, but they're sinners no matter which era, what century you choose, and there's bad stuff going on. I often tell people today, uh, my members, when, they're, when they are lamenting all the bad stuff that's going on in the news, I'm like, uh, a lot of that was going on in the ancient world, it's just they didn't have 24-hour news coverage to tell you all about it. Yes. And, uh, you know, Jacob didn't make the tabloids, but he made the Bible, <laughs> and uh, so we, we get to see all his faults right there. The, the Bible doesn't give us plastic saints. Uh, these, are, these are real, live, 3D human beings. And uh, we get to see them warts and all. I love that. I'm going to write that down. Jacob didn't make the tabloids, but he did make the Bible. Um, <laughs> so this is great, Pastor. So before we dig in even further, can you begin our time in prayer? Yeah, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, your word, which shows us you, which uh, guides us to you, which shows us the very nature of, of the God who delivered the world through the sh your own shed blood, the very God who preserved his chosen line despite all the sinners who were parts of it to bring you forth into the world, to go to the cross, to deliver us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we study your word this day, that you would bless us, that you would fill us with your grace, that you would point us to you 
and your cross. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning Genesis chapter 29, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. As we look at our text today, Genesis chapter 29, we're going to go through it section by section, really. And it is, it is a fascinating reality, but everything happens within a context. Pastor, how do you want to start us off as we, uh, before, after, or themes for today in Genesis 29? Yeah, I, we're, we're coming off the heels of, of Jacob's deception. And Jacob's uh, with with his with his mother, his deception of his father to to deceitfully gain the blessing. But what I think people don't under don't often get when they think about that is that Isaac was actually the first one in the wrong. Mm. He wanted to give the, the the blessing and and not just not just inheritance as we think of it now, but but the messianic blessing, the very divine blessing that had been bestowed upon his father. He was trying to deliver it to the wrong child. Um, uh, Rebecca was told when the two two boys were in the womb that uh, the the older will serve the younger. She was, she was told this was the way things were going to happen. And so when Isaac tries to give the blessing to to Esau, he's actually transgressing uh, the way the Lord had it set up. And and the Lord works through human sin and folly. And uh, while we do not countenance uh, the the deception that was practiced upon Isaac, it was actually God's means of getting the blessing to the right person. But Jacob gets the blessing; he's cast out. Uh, Luther often talks about in the patriarchal narratives that everyone that that there's a great contrast between the words that we that the patriarchs hear and what they see. And Jacob hears this great beautiful blessing, and then he's kicked out, <laughs> and he's sent out. And the, in the next chapter, chapter 28, we have the, the vision the, of the, the stairway or ladder to heaven. And there God affirms what, um, what Isaac had given, uh, that, that very blessing, that, that messianic blessing, that blessing that your, your, your children will, uh, will fill the earth. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But Jacob's still sojourning. And we'll see here kind of what happens to him as he as he journeys, as he uh, as he spends time in exile. And then as he comes back, finally, he has, uh, again, uh, a reaffirmation of it with the wrestling match with God in Genesis 32. And finally, Genesis 35, a full affirmation of of both his new name that he's given in the wrestling match and then also that divine blessing. So so really, to me, that the theme of the blessing while it's not really on the surface in chapter 29 here, it runs through this entire saga. The, the blessing is deceitfully seized, uh, but yet it was the blessing that God wished to give. And he affirms it at Bethel. He affirms it at the, at, on the banks of the, of the Jabbok River. And then he affirms it again in Genesis 35. Well, that is a, that is a great reality for us to look at is first... I don't think I quite made the connection that this blessing that was given to Jacob was more in line with what God had had promised um, to <laughs> to his mother. Um, I've, I've always thought that, but always was like, oh, it never really sat well with me that that that's the way it happened because that was not the way the cultural value would be. However, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like you said, it was a, quote, promise from the Lord that this is how that was going to happen. And so when Isaac went against that word, which is interesting to me, that, that you know, before when we think of, let's just say, creation, that Adam received the promise and it was mm -hmm. Eve who didn't, quote, follow it, even though Adam's right there the whole time. And in this situation, it was the mother who received it and then the father's the one who I guess deceived or went the other direction. So it's just, yep. just I'm just thinking through this as you're saying that because that makes me see this in a whole different realm that the Lord's, I mean, I knew the Lord's hand was always upon it and God's carrying God's people through with his promise. But that's a great insight for us this morning. So I'm a little bit blown away right now. Um, do you have any other, any other thoughts before we start digging in? Yeah, it with Jacob, it will we'll see a lot of reenactment going on here. Uh, that uh, uh, this is very similar to his father's journey, uh, journey north, and and the the courtship that goes on. So we'll we'll see a lot of connections with I with uh, Isaac. And I would also ask the our listeners to keep in mind uh, there's a number of connections here looking forward to Jesus and the the woman at the well. Uh, in John chapter four, I believe, I think it's chapter four. Um, and uh, a, which a, a, there's a wonderful article in the in the Concordia Theological Quarterly by Dr. Peter Scare years ago, uh, where he explores that that kind of all this Old Testament imagery that goes into that text. But that, that's something to keep in mind, too, that, that these these marital courtship events at Wells, <laughs> uh, which is similar. Moses will do the same thing. Uh, that's where he meets his wife. And then and then they're, they're all kind of eventually come to Jesus and the, and the woman at the well in John 4. Oh, my goodness. I think this would be great for someone to do a Ph.D. on the <laughs> the well theology. Oh, wait, you're a you're a you're a finishing your Ph.D. Never yeah, mind. Yeah. you don't want to do that. I can't change course right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dig into our text. Genesis chapter twenty nine. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Now, Pastor, I'm going to stop there at the moment just because this kind of sets us up for, like you mentioned, kind of a well uh, connection that we see throughout Scripture. Just to make sure if there's anything that you want to highlight with the well, it gives a good uh, prognosis, or not prognosis, a description of what a well was. Anything else that you have in these first three verses? Yeah, I, it's just, to me, it's really neat how, how much detail we have of the setting here. Uh, that that uh, that Moses gives us that this this is a very uh, we we know exactly what this looked like uh, because of his description uh, in these verses. So mm -hmm. rolling the stone from the mouth of a well, well, you know that uh, that makes us think a little bit about Easter. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's pushing it a little bit, but uh, that that is interesting that the that the the ancestor of Jesus will be the one who will eventually roll this stone away from the well. Uh, so that they can be watered. There, there's a lot of lot of connections that that we can point forward to these actions of Jacob here that we can point forward to Christ. And and that's what I love about Genesis is that, for example, when Sarah was going to be buried, 
It's very intricate details on what was happening, how they came to be, the, the workings that Abraham had to do and so forth. And so it's very interesting in Genesis. It's a lot more detailed than I remembered. It's not just simply stories, but it really mm-hmm. lays out the groundwork for us to understand the place, uh, the people, uh, the situation, and also the historical context. So right now, what we know, with all that aside, that basically he has found a well, and that's where he is. Anything else? No, that sounds that's <laughs> that's great. It. Okay, verse 4. Jacob said to them, my brothers... Where do you come from? And he said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. I'm going to stop there too because I'm kind of a little bit on the cliff there. But we could easily see this just simply as this. Um, I see, I go to a pastor's conference somewhere and all of a sudden I see Pastor Marundi there. And I'm like, hey, you're, we've never met in person, but there you are. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then, then they, all of a sudden you find out that your best man in your wedding is is a good friend of mine and da-da-da, or a family member, or you're, you know, da-da-da. You're on the whole list. We could just easily say, nah, it's just kind of a nice story of connections, but is there more to this? What are your thoughts? Yeah, there, there definitely is. And it's, again, another nice connection back to when Isaac, or, or the servant of Abraham, goes to find a, a, right. Uh, right. a wife for Isaac. He, he shows up at the well, and he, he, uh, he kind of waits. That he, he makes his prayer, and, and then he waits and sees what happens. And, of course, they, the, the Lord put, put Rebecca right there doing the same thing that, that Rachel, the next generation, is doing, uh, watering the flock. And so this, uh, the, the connections are, are beautiful, beautiful here. Um, and um, the Lord is putting his people right where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Jacob, when he was cast out from home, he was told to go up to Haran. He was told to go uh, with the relatives of Isaac and, and Rebecca, the, uh, the old family uh, homeland up north. Mm-hmm. And the Lord led him there. And I, I mean, he didn't have GPS, uh, they, they, but he managed to find his way up there. And it, what's interesting to me too, as we're as we're moving into the rest of the text, um, that all this detail again with okay, so we've got the it, Jacob's like, well, I'm a shepherd to just water the sheep and get him out of here, so he can bring in the next flock. But uh, he um, it, essentially the picture we get is that this stone is so big <laughs> that we need everyone here, and then we'll heave it off because it's not something that you just kind of uh, you move three or four times a day. We all get together. We all water the flocks at the same time. Yeah, definitely a, a unique insertion there to say, no, no, we wait for everybody. And I don't want to go too far with that, but it is an interesting way of connecting. And I like what you said with God is putting the right people in the right place. And this is something that is very important for us, I believe, as Christians to be able to see. For example, when, when I received the call to Messiah and Sartell 12 years ago, that, that that was the right place and the right time. 
um, for me and my family to serve and to live and to be invested. And for you, you know, you've had a call and and, uh, and, and you working on your PhD and all that. It's God puts us in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And why is that important for us as Christians to remember that God puts us in the right place at the right time or sets the stage for us to be able to serve in his kingdom? Your thoughts? Yeah, I, every time, every, I, I, I've told people this a lot. The Lord provides for his church. And every time I doubt that, he likes to prove me wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's he, he. You see all the 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 times when just exactly the right people are put in your path, and sometimes it's the right people put in your path to help you and support you and care for you as Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's the person put right there for that needs your help and your service. And so, you know, while it's, we should, definitely should, and it's a balance, it's not an either or, we should uh, support what, what we're doing overseas, uh, both in mercy work and in mission work. But sometimes we get so wrapped up on writing a check and sending it to, to Africa or Asia that we forget that the Lord puts people right in front of us. <laughs> and... Um, and, and but again, both people to help us and people to uh, for us to help. Uh, and none of this is a mistake. The the Lord the Lord puts His people where they can do the most good. And again, we see this quite distinctly when a pastor receives a call, certainly, and we see how he answers prayers both uh, uh, for for the congregation and the church at large. But it happens in in the daily lives of Christians all the time. He's constantly putting us just in the right place, just where we need to be uh, to help and support our neighbor. And sometimes we can't quite figure it out. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've had had elderly members say to you, as they said to me, I don't know why I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily have an answer either, other than that uh, the Lord has use of you. And maybe it's just praying uh, or maybe there's maybe there's a person that uh, that that. Uh, uh, that you will have the opportunity to serve or or whatever but uh, a the the lord the lord knows what he's doing he uh, he he puts us in the right places he puts the right people in our lives and and he and he provides for his church provides for his christians and that's a great reminder for us i mean and it fits with genesis with with isaac i keep going back to it with isaac and abraham as they go to the mount and mm-hmm. he says, the Lord will provide. And that's what they literally named it. And there's times yeah. where we have to just preach that sermon to ourselves and to our to other people um, that the Lord will definitely provide. And, and, and the beauty of Genesis, I think from beginning till end, on 1 through 50, is that we get a front row seat of God showing how he provides in stories, yeah. true stories, that are very similar to our own. You know, um, testing of faith and something like this where you're, you're courting or you're dating. I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. And at the same time, or like I guess that bearing of, of Sarah, uh, trying mm-hmm. to figure out what to do when, when Abraham's at the end of his life and, and, and the blessing of children. I mean, the whole thing, it's very similar, not the same language, not the same culture, but very similar to the struggles we have today. And we get a front row seat of seeing how the Lord provides for his people um, throughout Genesis, and therefore provides for us. Any other thoughts on the first eight verses? This is we're we're setting up a lot of things, so I'm excited to see see what Jacob does with all this. All right, well, let's keep moving on. Verse nine, verse nine. While he was still speaking with them, 
Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. First of all, if you ever wonder what the connection was, I think there's a connection of the mother's brother. <laughs> this yeah, said it three yeah. times in there. But, but anyways, once again, God's setting the stage. And what's God doing here? It, we are, it, he's providing for Jacob a bride, uh, someone to be in the, in the very, very promised line of his son. He is, he has led Jacob right to the very kinsman of his, uh, of his father, which was which was his father's intent, and you remember back that was Abraham's intent in finding his, uh, a wife for his son, and he is he he's providing, he's caring for dear Jacob, uh, despite Jacob's uh, you know his his nature, his his sin, his trickery. All those sorts of things. God is still taking care of him. He's providing for him, and he's brought him right, as we just got done discussing, right to the very place where he needed to be. And it's it's interesting the the emotion. You know, Jacob kissed Rachel and mm-hmm. wept aloud. Any any thoughts on God provides? Obviously, he's going through a lot. But any thoughts to that? That this, this is quite striking to me. The emotions that are showed here. Yeah. Well, if you think about what he's been through, I mean, we Jacob didn't just, you know, he didn't go with a caravan of camels like uh, like Abraham's servant did. He was wandering off on his own, and uh, that has been his goal. And for him to to for the Lord to provide that and put that right. Well, what else can we do but but weep with joy? And I. Again, the scriptures don't give us any plastic saints. I mean, they're not they're, they're not just cardboard cutouts. The, they're real people with real sins, yes, but also real joys and real emotions. And uh, th- these are these are the kind of tears of joy that that he has found his destination. The Lord has provided. He is taking care of them. He's right where he needs to be. And I love the. Like you said, this is not plastic saints. I'm writing this down too. That's really good because. You see uh, the connections that are made, the the relation, and then she ran and told her father. Mm-hmm. And this this is so much like when Eleazar, you know, goes and finds someone for for Isaac. You know, just that reality of that they're running to like, wow, God God's providing here. Like God is providing, and so they're running to this, which I always think back to, like you said. The resurrection, you know, they're running. Wait, yep. God is providing exactly what He said, and once again, we don't go too far with that. But there is that dynamic as well that they are noticing. Ding, ding, ding. Wait, this is what God has promised, and boom, it is coming true. Anything else, Pastor? Before we move it, on, joy. It just brings joy, <sighs> and I think I think uh, it's easy in this world of sin uh, to have that joy kind of beaten down. But but Christians, we, we have a we have joy, <laughs> and, and it's a deeper joy that, that nothing this world can do anything about, and it's the kind of joy we see here. 
Well, let's continue on in verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. and Laban said to him, Surely you are, bone of my bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So, Pastor, with about a minute and a half left before our break, uh, there's, there's more running that happens here and more emotion that occurs as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean... Hey. Laban's going to turn out to be as, as much of a trickster as, as Jacob. But, but here, initially at least, we, we see the, the joy that he recognizes in this, uh, in this meeting between, uh, between a strange kindred or kindred that have been, been apart for so long. You are my bone and my flesh. I mean, that, that sounds a lot like uh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Mm-hmm. It sounds very much like, uh, like Genesis 2. Um, that Laban, okay, yes, we're going to find out he's he's kind of kind of a trickster, but uh, but he does take this man into his house. He does show him hospitality, uh, at least initially, and uh, that's that's a big deal. It's a big deal in that culture. It's a big deal, really, for all of us to to learn that 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 joy of welcoming someone into our home to uh, uh, especially a relative, um, and think about this as, as Christians. We're all bone of bone and flesh of flesh because we're all in the body of Christ. Well, and that is something that we'll talk more about on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 29 with Pastor Christopher Morundi, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 29 with Pastor Christopher Morundi. And Pastor, this is, I mean, this is getting more fun every every word I read because you said it, you know, Laban will become quite the trickster, which is kind of ironic, which is not ironic when we're talking about God, is because, well, Jacob kind of does the same trickery before this point. Mm-hmm. So if we ever, you know, once again, if we go through Genesis and you want to say, wow, boy, the past was just so much better than it is today. Like, well, I'm not so sure. Any thoughts on the connection of those of the of the tricksters of chapter 29? Yeah, it, it's we're going to find is it chapter 30 or 31? Yeah, well, 30. <laughs> uh, so it, it is uh, they're going to be competing with each other. See who can be the most trickstery. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, nice. they, they're going to be going back and forth. Uh, but yeah, Jacob. It's interesting because the biblical text just tells us the story. It never it says, well, now Jacob's getting what he deserved. You know, so we, we as readers, we kind of infer that, that 
that that Jacob's getting back what uh, what he gave. Uh, he was the one who grasped the heel. Uh, that was the that's the name Jacob, mm. and um, he has not been given the name. Israel yet that's coming in chapter 32 and that's a much more noble name <laughs> for, for him than uh than he who grasped the heel he who, he who is the trickster so so Jacob's guy met his match and so as we read this we're we have trouble feeling all that sorry for Jacob um, because because we've seen what goes before uh, but yet we know how the Lord's hand is working with all this. This is the story of our uh, of our forefathers in the faith. I mean, we're going to start hearing the names of the various tribes uh, at the end of this chapter. So th- this is this is a big story for the for the people of Israel and for for those who who uh, follow them in faith, uh, the children of Abraham by faith. So it, these the the Lord is working through the trickerations of these two men, and they kind they kind of are getting what each uh, they're, they're getting each in kind, <laughs> uh, according to their own nature. I wrote that down too. Trickerations is another <laughs> word. That's a, I think that's a Latin somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think um, so. it, should, it must be. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I, do, I do enjoy how the Lord provides through his people, like you said. And, and it's, it's just one of those cultural things too. He comes and he just stays for a month. I mean, yep. Who stays with you for a month? I mean, you know, sometimes our kids were like, ah, it's, it's yeah. not enough. You know, you should go back to school now. Um, and so it is fascinating to see the, 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 the body of believers coming together that God provides for these folks and he continues to work through them. But at the same time, it's clear from this trickeration, as you said, that this is not a perfect scenario. This is not a, uh, a, 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 we call it the, the Andy Griffith show Mayberry situation yeah. because there's always sin in the midst of all these promises. So uh, I'm ready to keep moving forward. Are you, Pastor? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I mean... There's no trickery here. I mean, right now we're we're in the Hallmark Channel of of, yeah, of, of courting. It's just beautiful. So yeah, let's yeah. stop. You know, if we could just stop there, Amen. Let's move on. I mean, this would be just a a great story for a Hallmark situation. But anyways, Pastor, what's what's happening here? Well, it it's really interesting. I mean, he the bride price is given. Work for me. Work for me seven years. Okay, that sounds good. He'll do it. He loves Rachel. Again, you said, as you said, it's all very, it's so beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's almost like we could, we could uh, just let's not get to twenty one and twenty two here. The, the everything's going so great. Uh, just that little mention that uh, uh, Leah's eyes were weak. That we're not entirely sure what that in, that expression means. It could mean it could be an expression meaning that she wasn't. Uh, fully attractive, or it could just mean that she, her eyes compared to Rachel's were, were, 
were lacking in luster or whatever. Um, that's the only little little hint that we're gonna that that's gonna be brought out in the next one. Uh, it is better than I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So you hear this hospitality. Everything seems to be going quite great, and and the dedication of a man. Uh, you think in our society today where uh, men take women without even marrying them, uh, to have Jacob say, I'll serve you for seven years before I, before I marry her, uh, that is dedication. I mean, that, that is, that is uh, quite beautiful, um, that, that level of devotion. And so, like you said, there's, there's that reality. You, you read Song of Solomon, which was a great study that we had here on Thy Strong Word. I would encourage our listeners to, uh, to, 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 to listen to those studies. Uh, Dr. Chris Mitchell was our first guest and just laid it out beautifully. This kind of language of a, of a love of a husband for his wife, which then reflects the love of our Lord for his church. And here we just get that wonderful reality of that he loved her so much and in an endearing relationship that it felt like just a few days. Who knows what exactly that means? Obviously, it was not like it was a perfect relationship by any stretch. But when there is that kind of love, that sacrificial love that, that he had, uh, that is a perfect picture, obviously, to point us back to Christ. Just like when we have a wedding, you're able to able to proclaim beautifully that love that the Lord has for us and how that just pours down into our own lives. So, Pastor, anything else uh, up to verse 20 that you wanted to highlight? Well, seven years obviously didn't dull his love. It, uh, it, it, it just increased it. So, again, this seems so wonderful, so beautiful, and now the train wreck of sin is going to intervene. <laughs> oh, the downer moment. You're giving us kind of a downer moment here, Pastor, but we'll figure it out. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. I'm going to stop there. Um, I'm going to stop there. So the agreement is good. Um, there was going to be a consummation of this relationship, which is, which is, you know, which is good. This is a good thing as far as a marriage and all those. They have a feast, and then, uh oh, this isn't quite what we thought. So, what are your thoughts? How do you want to break this down? Because this can get messy if we we let it. Yeah, it, it is. It is quite. Messy. It is messy already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is quite messy. But but. You know, it, Jacob, again, as we said before, he's he's meeting his match in, in trickery. Mm-hmm. And Laban, who who seems so legit and so kind, legitimately kind and hospitable and everything's great, all of a sudden pulls a uh, a trick on him. And I, I think it has to be I, I've, I've often tried to think what's Laban's angle here. And it must be the others uh, getting another seven years of work out of them. I, th- I think that's the only thing I can think of uh, for Laban is get, get both my my daughters married off, including the one that I didn't think I could marry off, and uh, and get an extra seven years of work out of them. Um, this is what well, we're talking about: Second Commandment things here, right? A violation of a of a promise of an oath. Uh, we are. Uh, 
also the eighth commandment deals with uh with the words of our lips and and how we how we deal with others and truthfulness and so yeah laban just straight up deceives him tricks him now i mean someone could could try and blame jacob for uh i i think the implication is that he was somewhat inebriated or something like that so he he was not able to recognize what was going on but laban's the one who did not fulfill his word and to me that's a that that's such a it's the negative contrast to uh to what the lord does he is the one who keeps his promises and we see it's it's uh the line running through all of this all these chapters all the back and forth that that's coming here uh between laban and jacob is these two guys aren't terribly faithful with one another <laughs> uh and we don't but god is faithful to his promises and he's going to work even despite the uh, uh, the injustices that that come forth and we're going to see here uh right uh, uh is it right at the end yes right right at the end verse 35 the end of this text um judah is going to come from leah now now we hear in uh in genesis uh towards the end of genesis we hear all about joseph who was who was uh uh rachel's rachel's son and jacob's beloved son from his beloved wife and also benjamin from her as well but it's judah who's going to end up receiving the messianic promise mm. so so the lord here is working even again through the trickery of laban he wants uh, he has his promised line in mind, and it's going to go through Leah and not through Rachel. Um, Rachel's sons are going to do great things, too. Uh, but the messianic line that the Lord has, has ordained to bring forth salvation for the world, the very way all those promises given in Genesis 28 at the, at the ladder to heaven, and that will be reaffirmed at the Jabbok and then also in Genesis 35, uh, those promises are going to be fulfilled through the woman that Jacob didn't want to marry. Something. Again, demonstrating how, how God gets his thing done, <laughs> despite, uh, uh, and I think he's proving something to us when he does that. He's showing us how he, he works despite us, and we think we have our plans, and then he says, nope, I'm going to do it my way. It's It's interesting to me, too, that, you know, yeah, God is at work through all of this. And I think that's a, a common line that I know I need to tell myself more is not to try to do a, you know, end justifies the means. Like, well, actually, you know, this this, this way ended up working out the best. Like, well, I don't want to go that far because clearly it was not right <laughs> yeah. to, to, to have, you know, to have relations with someone that you didn't want to have relations with. And that's why mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering about this too. There would be a sixth commandment in here but that is really kind of clunky to me, and, and and it is. I mean, it is a sixth commandment issue. But how do you how do you talk about that? Any thoughts on this? I mean, he he gives her the the wrong daughter, the trickster into it. So how would you relate that to adultery? And how would we talk about that as Christians? Yeah, that's that's a, a that's a challenging one yeah. um, because a, you you kind of get into the realm of what were marriage customs at that time. So that's so. The one angle per, potentially with this text is that, that Leah was legitimately married to him and he, uh, Jacob, because he wasn't, it, it, it again, it depends on kind of how the, 
how the ceremonies, uh, public rights went together. And so you could make an argument that he was legitimately married to Leah, that this is the, so the, that this isn't a sixth commandment issue, at least not yet. So, um, yeah. certainly there's deception going on, uh, but, but he was lawfully married. Um, you could also make the argument that he was, he was legally married to Rachel and then the switch happened. And then that would be a, a sixth commandment issue. Uh, it's, it's messy, and we're going to get into the issue of polygamy, and I don't know if you've talked about that on this show already. Um, I've had a discussion with your guests about that when we've run into it earlier in Genesis, but you have that issue as well, where uh, the you you have multiple wives going on, and then in, in chapter 30, you're going to have concubines coming, or not concubines, but the maidservants, and things are going to get incredibly messy, Sixth Commandment-wise. Uh, and again, the Lord is working through it. He's not, we're not endorsing, it's not the end justifies the means, sir, be, well, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's not ours. <laughs> we're not the ones doing it. The Lord is orchestrating all this. It's not that we can say, well, the Lord worked through it, so it's good. No, no, no. It, it's still bad. Uh, but the Lord is, is doing his thing despite it and, and, even, and even through it. Uh, but he did not cause the sin. He is the one who who is getting his work done through the, uh, you, know, you know, even through that sin, uh, as we saw as we saw earlier, uh, because God is God. He 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 is able to get his will done even through the folly of men, um, even when men uh, try to, as we saw with Isaac, try to transgress his ways. He's still going to get his thing done, uh, and his thing is getting this uh, getting this promised line. Uh, so it will bear, bring forth Jesus. And that's where, that's what I love about the way that you are speaking of this, because it takes out, it takes out intentions, uh, it just throws it out the door because we can easily say, well, he didn't intend to do that. Therefore it's not sinful or something along those lines, or, you know, trying to justify yourself in these stories mm -hmm. as opposed yeah. to talking about, okay, here's the sin, here's the brokenness. Now we see how God worked through it. And that's important for us as Christians is, is one, we can spend all day trying to justify ourselves. Well, I was young. I didn't know what I was doing. Or, you know, I was influenced by the wrong people, or I just had a bad day or whatever it might be. No, I mean, yet we have those days and we have to look at that. But at the same time, what we have to say is, okay, I need to repent. I need forgiveness. And okay, Lord, work through this brokenness as you become broken for me. And that's something that I love I love how you're how you're keeping us focused on the Lord providing in the midst of obviously broken situations. So, Pastor, we are halfway through verse twenty five almost. Anything else you want to highlight before we move on? I I would just point out perhaps also on that on that sixth commandment issue. Yeah. Uh, the genealogy of Christ in Matthew's gospel includes I think four women, and Three of the four are ones connected with Sixth Commandment stuff. So that's Tamar, Rahab, uh, uh, the wife of Uriah, and then the, the fourth one is Ruth. So, the, so she's more connected with maybe idolatry before she became a believer. Uh, so it, it, it's, very, it's fascinating to me that those four women in the, in the genealogy of Jesus highlight the Lord working despite these messy situations. Uh, including including a sixth commandment messes, which, as we well know, sixth commandment messes are they haven't gone away since biblical times. 
<laughs> Very true. So with that in mind, we continue to move forward. We are halfway through. verse. I'll just read verse 25 again. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> and Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you, serve you for Rachel? Why then did you deceive me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one. And when you give the other in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to be his daughter, to, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Well, for such a chaotic situation, it seems awfully calm um, to, to find a solution. But, Pastor, break this down for us. Well, it, it's the, the solution is polygamy, <laughs> right. which, which is problematic on, on many, many different levels. Um, and, uh, it, I mean, we can get into that if, if, if you haven't covered it thoroughly on, on an earlier program. Um, but please, it, it, please it, highlight it, that. I want you to dig into that for us because okay. we have talked okay. about it, but it's always good to rehash it. Yeah. And, and I think the, uh, there are a couple answers with, with polygamy and it, and it's kind of supposed tolerance in the old Testament. And, and, and you know, it is, I, <laughs> tolerated, I guess, with, with air quotes around it in the Old Testament. Uh, but there are a couple answers that I would give pastorally uh, to those. And I, I, I'm sure you've received this question a number of times throughout your your service as a pastor, and I certainly have. You know, what's up with this? And the one thing I always I start with is the New Testament. And the New Testament quite clearly uh, speaks of marriage as the union of one man and one woman. That And, and the New Testament excludes polygamy. So there's no polygamy from that point forward. Okay, well, and where do they get that theology? They get from Genesis 2, verse 24. That's where all the marital theology of the New Testament is founded, in Genesis 2, verse 24. Jesus isn't doing anything new. He goes back to Genesis 2, 24, and so does St. Paul. Uh, so, so it's something old, and yet and it is also something for the New Testament church. So why was it there in between? Uh, I don't know that I have a, 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 a for sure answer to say why God uh, never explicitly condemned it, uh, but there are plenty, as I said before, we do not have plastic saints. I mean, they, these men and women were sinners, and I would challenge you to find a single polygamous situation in the Old Testament that goes well, mm -hmm. um, where, where, where things actually, actually, where it actually shows polygamy as, as if it's a wonderful thing. It almost is almost always, and we'll see here in just a few, and just a verse, a couple verses, that, um, that, that it always causes trouble, always causes trouble. So, so this is, in my mind, a clear deviation from, uh, from the intent of Genesis 2, verse 24, and Jesus reaffirms it at, in, um, in the Gospels, and so does, so does St. Paul. So why was it tolerated in between? Why didn't God speak more strongly against it? Um, I'll, I'll leave that to God, but it's pretty clear in the Scripture that this is not his design, and it does not work well. And that's a good reminder to us is, you know, that Scripture interprets Scripture as, as what, you're, what you're telling us here. 
And there's times where we can look at scripture and say, well, you know, that that part there is a little unclear. And that part over here is is something that we can dismiss because of some kind of culture or something along those lines, which, you know, that's something we all need to to wrestle with, obviously. Um, but the question that is very good that one of my uh, mentors made sure to ask is, is this ever explicitly promoted as good, right, and salutary? And yep. that is very clear that uh, it's never promoted. By the way, you should have more than one wife. And then secondly, did the results are something that never even ends somewhat well. There's never a moment where the, 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 the people involved would say, yeah, that was for the best. That was, that was really good. I'm glad we did it that way. So yeah. it's something for us to be able to look at clearly. Pastor, as we look at this, we have uh, the, the transferring now to Jacob's children. But I want to make sure we have about eight minutes left in our time. If there's anything else in these first 30 verses, because, I mean, there, there's a lot there that we could always <laughs> run with. I just want to check if there's anything else. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you, you <laughs> the question naturally to Laban is, okay, if this isn't done this way in this con- in our country, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Seven years ago when I first asked for her hand. Um, so it, I, obviously the deception is rampart here. And I, again, I, I think the only angle he can be working here is to get seven more years of labor and, and again, get his, his daughter married off that he, he wasn't sure he'd be able to get married off to anyone. Um, so he, he, he's, he's trying to provide for himself and we'll see kind of how that keeps playing its way out, uh, in chapter 30. Well, let's continue on then the rest of chapter twenty, third of chapter twenty nine. When the Lord Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord Yahweh has looked upon my affliction, for, for my for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Some familiar names here, uh, Pastor, as like you said, the Lord provides. So your thoughts on Jacob's first four children? Yeah, it's uh, it, again, these guys are, we'll, we'll be running into them in the, in the next few chapters. But what, what we'll probably know them more as the, as the scriptures go on by their, you know, the, the tribes that they represent. And so, it, I mean, as, as kind of the, the foundation of, of Israel, the, what will become the nation of Israel, the people of God who carry that promise forward, um, this is a significant text. And it's just so fascinating to me how, how it's, this, this again, this isn't uh, uh, all sunshine and rainbows here, but, but the Lord is opening the womb of Leah because she, is because um, she was hated. She, she, was, she was not loved by uh, um, by her husband. And so he's like, I'm going to give her the blessings, including the one who will eventually uh, receive the promised line, which, which will be Judah. Um, 
seems to remind me of, of a young girl who once sang a song, we call it the Magnificat, that talks about the, the mighty being cast down from their thrones and the poor uh, being exalted and all that sort of thing. The, the, the Lord is the Lord of the great reversal. And the greatest reversal of all is is taking us out of out of sin and shame and and exalting us to um, um, sit with Jesus at, at, before the throne of God. So it, it, the the Lord has this pattern all throughout the scriptures of taking the those who are beaten down by the world, who are not exalted, who are who are poor and lowly in one sense or another, and exalting them. And choosing them, and we saw that with uh, uh, Isaac and Ishmael to a certain extent. We saw that with uh, Jacob and Esau, and we'll we'll see that to a certain extent when it comes to these these sons as well. The the this this exaltation of of the lowly. And we'll see that with David. Yeah, when when he lines up all the all the sons of Jesse and and uh, the the one the Lord wants isn't even there. He's out shepherding. Um, <laughs> this, this sort of thing happens over and over again through the scriptures. And again, it, it demonstrates to us how our ways are not his ways. He, God does his thing, and he does it the way he wants to. Because <laughs> God is God and we are not. Um, and as obvious as that sounds, I think it, we need to be reminded of that. Um, and, and this is where it we see it throughout, for example, that you have... Uh, the Moabites, you have Lot and his daughters. Not a great way to start with the family. But then we have the story of Ruth, you know, that the Lord worked through the Moabites of all places, of all people. I even heard one time that, that there was a pastor who just mentioned that that she came from the lineage of the Moabites and explained Lot and his daughters. And he paused and he goes, gross. <laughs> <laughs> but from there, the lineage leads us to Christ. I mean, yeah. God will provide, and he works yeah. through even the most broken of situations. And pastor, like I said, we don't want to have nostalgia in the past as if it was better. But we also want to have to see that, yes, these stories can be, well, gross, but the Lord works through that. Why is that important for us to know in today's world as we look at the past and as we go to the future because we we ourselves are going to go through through challenging times and uh we ourselves are going to have uh messy times in our own world in our own lives when when things aren't going to go quite so well and when we ourselves uh screw up and 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 we fail and we sin uh that the lord works he continues to do his thing, and he continues to work through us and despite us, and sometimes through our our very own follies. And sometimes we can't, we don't see how that all works out. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we do get to look back at the end of a, a end of some situation and say, "Oh, the Lord, that that's what He was doing." <laughs> we don't always get that privilege. It's kind of cool when we do, but we don't always get it. Uh, but we know. This is the promise that that Saint Paul affirms in uh, in Romans uh, is it Romans eight uh, through all things God works for the good for those who are called according to His purpose, and that's an article of faith. I always tell people that's an article of faith. It's not a it's not something that we 
uh, we can always figure out, that we can always see, uh, but we trust that it is true. We trust that he will work all things to our good. Pastor Chris Morundi, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 29. Pastor Morundi, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.